Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's episode. We're going to change it up a little bit. I won't call it sharp cuts out of respect for my guy, Garrett May, who couldn't join us today, but we're going to have a bit of a roundtable discussion because I think that's what volleyball people do during the holidays is you just get your buddies together and you talk about volleyball. So joining me today... Our friend of the show, returning guest, Pierce Johnson. You'll remember him as OUA Player of the Year. He played at Windsor University, and he's about to play pro in France as we're recording this. And our second guest, also returning to the show, Tyler Latitulia, who played at SAIT. Uh, he also played pro in Greece, uh, Greece, excuse me, has a background in motor learning, is coached with the Beach National Team in York University. So, boys, let's get into it. Let's just pretend we're out for dinner. But I think the topic that uh, I've been going down the rabbit hole the most over this break is the, the concept of talent acquisition versus talent development. And, and just to set the scene, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, listeners who go, what, what's the big deal? I think pro sports, they do free agency and they do trade and they develop athletes. And I think the Dodgers have spent like a billion dollars this offseason. But if you get into the weeds a little bit, uh, I was reading about Barcelona Soccer Club. They won Champions League with eight guys from their academy. And that's like the gold standard of development. Uh, I was reading about NHL draft picks where Vegas and Colorado, who are always competitive, have the most third and fourth round picks on their roster. So uh, I think talent acquisition ID and development will always belong, even though like the sexy thing is the free agency. But for for our purposes today in volleyball, where I wanted to start was just the concept of club volleyball where, yes, I get you have tryouts. And I think the purpose of a tryout is to get the best athletes on your roster so you can have therefore have the best team. But I think for a lot of club coaches, it stops there where some of them are just really good recruiters, but they're not good developers. And why does that problem exist? Uh, or am I totally out of my mind and that problem doesn't exist? And maybe uh, I'm just fascinating and maybe Ontario really is good at developing. So maybe we'll start with you, Tyler, because you did have to go through the tryout window and the madness that is OUA club uh, and we'll switch over to Pierce but Tyler am I crazy in thinking that recruiting is getting crazy right now in club volleyball at least in Ontario maybe Canada yeah this is my first year coaching club um, in the tryout the whole tryout process was pretty crazy what, what I heard from other coaches it's like this is the most boys we've ever seen uh, and for context I coach 15 new boys at Phoenix um, the most boys we've seen tryout, like I had maybe over the course of tryouts, like maybe 40 to 50 kids, which um, guys were telling me when they were coming through, like they would be lucky to have six guys, like they would have to go and find dudes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, because I was the first, this is my first year taking over, I kind of didn't know about this culture of um I guess recruiting and, and kind of viewing what I've seen so far is kind of viewing club athletes almost as professional athletes like or just like viewing them as adults um, and maybe not maybe not so much in the spirit of how you want to view youth sport. Um, and so I kind of came into club maybe a little too new school, maybe a little too naive on the development side, like. I wanted to take as many, I would have maybe taken 18 kids if I, if like they let me, um, ended up taking 13 on the roster and then I had two practice players. So I do have 15 guys and it's a lot of guys in the gym. Um, but I'm super biased towards the development side. Um, but at the same time, I don't know, kids, kids and parents do want to win as well. So I don't know, it's, it's been just trying to find the balance of, long-term development and some performance things as well. And Pierce, I know you've been overseas, but uh, a guy like you, I don't want to 
label your career on a service level, but you grew up in the Chatham area and I think you accomplished everything you could there, but you had to leave clubs, I think, to pursue your post-secondary goals. So you went to London, but uh, I'm not saying that was a recruiting thing. I think that naturally happens or maybe your community club can't offer it. So you you do go to a bigger club or maybe a stronger coach who has university connections where uh, I don't want to use your example as being recruited, but something that needed to happen out of necessity. But uh, I am curious when you were coming through did you also view it as a necessity or did your age group just cycle out and you couldn't play at home? Yeah, it was kind of a mix of two things. Like I always wanted to go play for a better team. Um, the main reason I left wasn't because the team was better in London. They, they, they were significantly. Uh, the reason I did was because my team wasn't committed. They only really wanted to practice once a week. They didn't want to do nationals because that was the same weekend as the May 2-4 weekend here. Which Tyler, like May 2-4 weekend here is this huge party where especially in Chatham, all the high school kids go to the, this provincial park and rent campsites and party. And none of those guys wanted to give up that weekend just to go play a volleyball tournament. So I was like, okay, like I'm not going to stay here for my 18-year year then. This is a important year for recruiting. So I'm going to go play in London, which is like an hour away. It's not even that bad. And it's, that, that is what most kids in Toronto do anyways now. It's, it's all that. But the, the big issue I see is like in Canada, like our biggest issue is we don't have pro. So there's no feeder system. There's no, there's no better place to go after a couple of years university. Um, but in, in Europe, they, they have this, you know, 14 U kid who's playing at a 16 U level. They don't play for the 14 U, they play 16 U, even though they're 14. Then, okay, now they're a 14 U playing 16 U. Okay, now they're at the 18 U level and they're 15. Now they're playing 18 U. Like they don't keep them in their age bracket to keep them at their skill level. And that's what we have a problem here is we keep them in their age bracket, which is a huge issue I see. And so it's not, we're not really developing kids properly. Like there's a, there's those rare kids like Anna Smirk. I'm probably mispronouncing like play that Wisconsin. Like she played 18 U and 14 U. You never see that here, but it's because she was a freak athlete and she could. And then she had parents who also, we're like, no, she's like, we're a professional athlete. So they're like, no, she needs to do this because they understand what you need to do. But not enough people do or see that here, I think. And that's like a huge issue that we have is like our, just our development system isn't in the proper mindset. All the people want to do is win, you know, Canada games, uh, OBA champs, like national assault. And then once they win that, they're like, okay, what's our next AC They're like, okay, they can go to university. They're fine. Um, but they're not developing. They're just trying to win. Ooh, that is that is fascinating because I think the OVA and Volleyball Canada in general have tried to address the development versus age, but I think on the surface level, what I'm seeing it means you can play down. I don't see a lot of people challenging to play up. And don't get me wrong, I coached like a an average 18U boys team at one point, and the hardest games in our tournaments were the good 17U teams coming up. So I think there is some opportunity to play up a little bit, but yeah, you don't see it a 14U play 18U, and I'm sure there's reasons for that. I mean emotionally physically that what what some of your 14 year boys are talking about tyler aren't what the 18 year boys are talking about so i think socially you have to be aware of that too but uh yeah the the idea of challenging and playing up which is fascinating because uh one thing that switched me on to this you guys haven't had a chance to listen to it because it's not out yet but uh steve marr when he chose to go to mac uh he was speaking to his club coach john may at the time and howie grossinger was also his coach and dave preston and all three coaches told him the same thing and basically said you'll decide how good of a player you want to be like the there was attraction to go 
to Hawaii or go to Canada West. And they basically said, if you want to be a pro player, you can be a pro player anywhere. Like it's up to you to put in the work a little bit, which I think is fascinating. And I think athletes should be that internally driven. But I also think if you're scoring at ease at the 14 year level, maybe you should be playing against 15 and 16 year olds. So it's kind of a, I want to live on both sides of that fence. So uh, Tyler, just on Pierce's point, what, what do you think about the idea of like a 14 new playing 16 new, 17 new, maybe 18 new? Yeah, if they're, if they're talented enough, I love it. It's funny, like, when you talk club with different people, depending on their context, like Pierce is playing at a super high level, so um, it's probably biased towards, like, how can we get, like, high-performance athletes through? And then you'll talk to club coaches, and they, like, not all club coaches, but they view volleyball through the lens of club volleyball. So how can we make club volleyball... And that's kind of the peak. Like they don't kind of see past that into, let's say, U-sport or, or CCAA or playing professionally. So we're all biased to like how the system should develop these players. But like, I don't know, what do we want out of club? And it's probably different depending on the club, depending on the age. Um, but at the like... At the end of the day, there's the high performance athletes are like a tiny percentage. It's funny, I was talking to Jesse Sadie, who runs, you guys both know, he runs Pac Man, but he was like, everyone thinks we focus on the, the rep teams, but like a huge focus for them is the house league. They get thousands of kids coming through. And that's like, we're probably more biased to the high performance side, but um, getting athletes in, I think, is a bigger challenge right now because we're losing kids to to other things like participation I, I think is dropping or it's harder to keep kids in sports just because of other competing factors like technology and sitting on the iPad I guess what do you guys think about that yeah I wonder with the yeah, word word bias there if you say they focus on the house league is that because that's a ginormous club who has full-time staff and a facility that yeah. they gotta they gotta pay bills a little bit and, and Jesse you're welcome to come on the show and and kind of knock me around and say that's not what you're doing but uh, I think it is fascinating the, the term bias and what we want out of this and I think and hockey Canada has a bad rep right now and I'm not going to get in the weeds of that but I think one thing hockey does well is there is a level for everybody who wants to play and I think they do house league better than volleyball does house league because when I vision volleyball house league it's like you, you do skills and drills for like a half hour and then you play and then like so that's your hour of volleyball where house league hockey i think they take it seriously and they don't know they're not going to the nhl where if you play rep everyone gets the same service whether you're a pierce johnson or a josh nickel you go to the same saturday tournament and you have the same format and you play the same thing and i and i know it's tiered and everything but i don't see the high performers getting what they need and i don't see the weekend warriors getting what they need like i think it's a bit of a, a push and pull and maybe that comes naturally when your participation numbers are high enough that everybody can get what they need but uh, i think there's so many masters to serve that it's impossible based on on the logistics and formats right now like pierce i don't know what you're seeing yeah there's obviously every issue with volleyball in canada like one is just the men's side in north america just isn't big so you're not gonna like have the drop or even women's is, isn't isn't massive like i'm hoping that this woman's pro league starting in the States um, this year is going to like really take off. So then that kind of, kind of, you know, actually even draw like maybe Europeans to come play here and play in the pro league. And then, you know, if the woman does well, hopefully that means like the men's can do well too. And then kids are going to pro league here and they're like, Oh, I can go pro in my country or like in the States. And it's, you know, I'm not that far away from home. 
I can still work a job maybe and then also play. It's, it's big. But I, I think the big issue is like kids kids don't know that they can they can even play after club. Like you know, once you get to seventeen, you you might start hearing, oh, I could play in university if I want to. Um, but even then, like, what's what's the draw in that if you don't really love volleyball? Like, for the most part, the, even the kids that go and play at university, which is a small percentage of club kids, that's, like, that's the end of their career. Like, they don't even know about pro. Like, I didn't hear about pro really until I got to university. Um, and then I started to kind of realize, okay, that's a goal that's achievable if I, you know, work hard. And, you know, thanks to Gravel at Windsor, I was able to do that. But I think it's just, there's so many, like, small minute things that are going on and you can't really pin it on one of them. It's just kind of a little bit of all, but I think the big thing with club and this is against my opinion. Um, if I was the coach of club team, I've only been, you know, like whenever I'm back home, I help out with, you know, a couple of the teams and I just coach here and there. But the big issue is parents are a massive issue. <laughs> I'm sure you guys know dealing with parents suck. And so if I was the coach of team, at the start of the year, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd take my whatever I'm allowed to, 12 to 16 players, probably be closer to 12. And just because that's what the club would want, even though I'm with Tyler here, I, I would want to take a larger team. I'd want to develop guys. I'd want to, you know, have it so that I'm, you know, pushing my team for the next season. If I have a 16 year boys team or whatever, I'm trying to get them better for 18 years. Cause that's the year I want them to be their best is 18 years. Um, I'm okay to like have, have some, underperforming tournaments, I would say, like, for more development reasons. Um, obviously, still always trying to win. But I would sit the parents down at the start of the year and be like, listen, this is this is what I want to do. This is how it's going to be done. Um, I'm okay if you guys want to come and talk to me. And, like, if you have any issues, I'm always open to talk. But this is how I'm doing it. I need you all to agree to this. And I can't have there be problems. Oh, this is happening. This is how I need him to play more here. You know, I think they should be doing this. No, no, no. Like for the two hours you give them to me, like once or twice a week, they're mine. You, you're allowed to come to practice. You're allowed to watch. Can't say a word. You can talk to me after. You can talk to me one on one. That's fine. But I think that there's just so many. Like on one team, there's so many people that have their their little say, and it's like you know the club directors talking to each team, and they want you know them to run the team this way. Oh, I think you should play this guy more here in this position, and that's a whole other topic of where do you play guys? You know, everyone sticks the tallest guy in the middle. Like, oh, that's not good for development. That's, you, know, you have a six, seven athletic kid who is a freak athlete. Like you got to put him on the outside. I don't care if he's your only middle blocker. Like you, if you got to play a six foot guy in the middle, who's not going to go play university. So that this six, seven guy can develop as an outside. That's massive. Cause like the first time you saw that was like Steven Marr was like the first real, like six, seven outside in club and look at him now. He's one of the top outsides in the whole world because he was allowed to play outside through club for the most part. Like I forget where, when he started, but definitely when he was on crush, he was an outside and he was one of the tallest players on the team. And they had like Danny in the middle. Now that's a huge, that's not a huge height difference. It's like a three inch height difference, but in club, they probably would have switched the two in, the, in a lot of clubs. And like, luckily you had a coach like John May, who was more advanced than the majority of club coaches. And could see, okay, Steven's an outside and he needs to develop as an outside. He wants to be an outside. Now he's on our, on our Olympic roster. He qualified for Tokyo, uh, qualified for Paris. Like it's, it's just a bit like there's so many issues involved, but I think it's what issues do we need to tackle really? 
Well, let's let's tackle the parent one first. I'll, I'll take the side of crazy parent as I am a crazy parent. But if I'm going to play, what's the average OVA club fee right now? Let's say three grand, maybe thirty five hundred for some of these competitive teams, and higher at others. Maybe it's lower at a couple, and I think they they try to do it. But there's let's call it three grand. If I'm paying three grand and I have to drive two hours to a Saturday tournament, I would like my little Johnny to get some playing time. Uh, and you, as a coach, I think you're you're trying to develop and trying to win. So you guys, as guys who are on the sideline coaching, uh, how do you manage that is it possible to win and develop is it possible to get everybody on your roster in like tyler you said earlier you're carrying 13 cats this year there i know there's clubs that carry 10 because it's easier for playing time which is ironic the amount we train and practice it actually makes for worse practices but easier tournament days but clubs do that because of ease of parents and the the carrot being playing time so uh tyler take it away how are you managing 13 guys and what do you think about the concept of can you win and develop or do they have to be exclusive of one another well, we've kind of been doing that. Like, uh, again, it's 50 new boys. Like, anyone can win any game, kind of. I've seen some of the top teams, and they have some big kids. But um, we we played in, and we like our first tournament was a trillium, and which is the lowest. I think the lowest ranked or the lowest uh, tier. We got a silver medal, and then in the championship, we we got a bronze. And I don't think player for player we had much business meddling from an individual aspect or point of view, if that makes sense. But um, from a team aspect, I've, I never run lineups practice or anything. My, my practices are pretty random when it comes to lineups. So with the idea of guys just being adaptable, like you, you should be able to play with anyone. We also were running a 6-3, which... I got from listening to your podcast with Grant Wilson. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Like for anyone that, like listening doesn't know, 6-3 of three um, set of hitters and then three hitters. So like every second guy sets out of two positions. That doesn't make sense, but Google it maybe. Um, <laughs> but, we, you know, we still won games with that. Um, and I think the guys are just prepared. But again, we, we had a good coaching staff like myself and then um, the first tournament we had, um, Aaron has been around the club season, club um, scene for a while and then Matt Silva who, who coached me at State. Um, and so we kind of see the game maybe a bit better than like a, a parent who's coaching. Um, but you know what, at the, at the last tournament, um, we do have a rule, which I know a lot of clubs do, so parents can't um, question coaching decisions until 24 hours after the end of the tournament. So during the day, they can't um, question it. But a parent did come up to me and ask me, why haven't you been playing my kid and, and another kid? I, was, I, I went to get a bit defensive and then... I did actually realize I hadn't been playing him much and I was kind of moving away from my values of development. Like who's going to remember us winning a bronze medal at an OVA, like a one day tournament years later, like they're going to remember these other things. And so the first part of me is like, oh, I don't want to give in to a parent kind of complaining or kind of questioning my decisions when we kind of established that. But at the same time, I didn't realize that I wasn't playing this kid to that's more important to me is getting, we only had 12 that tournament, but all 12 guys in playing 
15 year we have fair play for pool play. Um, but those are only two games. So he got in for two sets and then kind of missed out the next two games. So it's balancing. And I, I, sometimes you can have both, but maybe we got a bit lucky because we ended up winning a, a bronze medal. But like you really have to look at your values and your why. And at some point it might become one or the other. Um, yeah. And with those values and why, is that something we could do better as coaches and maybe explain during tryouts? So when mom and dad volleyball are shopping and going to all these club tryouts, that if they go to Pierce's club, they know that Pierce wants to win every game and we're going to play our best six and that's what you're signing up for. And that might ease their mind a little bit versus, I don't know, I just find the tryout window so hectic and so crazy. And I think some parents are just trying to get their kids to play volleyball that year that they they might not have understood what the the club philosophy is, what the coach philosophy is. Are they on a good team, a strong team? Are they the worst player on their team? Like I think those conversations don't happen. And then you're two tournaments in and your kid's not playing and all of a sudden you're unhappy right like is there a way to communicate this without being harsh because i agree with you pierce i think the parents are why we don't have more coaches and i think it is the biggest stress of coaches coaches don't when i hear coaches vent to me it's not about oh we couldn't tactically serve the one six zone there we couldn't trap block it's like oh i'm getting hammered on playing time right now like and i think that's the biggest deterrent so how can we clean up that communication or make expectations a little bit more clear yeah, I think I should clarify too. Like, I'm always like, if you're on my team, is if there's to have a club team, like, I'm gonna play everyone. Um, and it's kind of like I go to the mindset of like kind of like the old school, like when, especially with younger teams, everyone's gonna play pool play. Um, it's gonna be probably like one lineup. It's either gonna be one game. These guys are playing in one game. These guys are playing, or you'll do the set and set. And then if you go to a third set, you play your best lineup for that game. For that set, like it would kind of vary on tournament and probably. You know, the first two or three tournaments, I'm doing the fair play for most of it, besides maybe the medal game. Um, and just whoever's playing better that day, it's going to be not who the best I think the starters are. It's going to be who's playing the best that day. Um, and then closer to provincials, it's going to be more, okay, I'm going with the guys who I think are going to um, perform more and the guys that have more earned the spot also, the guys that have come in every day, not missed practices. Um, and like, I actually want to want to try to win. So I think that, like, I just wanted to clarify that I'm not, I'm not a <laughs> uh, totally because like, there's so many kids like in 16U and 17U who aren't the best players, but they need rep, and like that they're going to be the guys in the university that they're going to be like they could be the, the best player in the way, but they're they're just not there yet. They don't like they're growing their body. They just but that's another huge issue. I I find I'm going on a tangent here, but you know, in Canada we just don't give them enough reps. They get, you sure they have their high school season too, but, um, you get maybe one or two club practices a week where, you know, they're playing a lot of six on six. And that's another thing is like, I, I think six on six is the dumbest thing in the world at that age. Like, cause I, I was listening to, um, John Kessel, who's, um, like a big American coach. And he's like, uh, you, you, you get these kids playing volleyball and then you just throw them into six on six and they're just watching the ball go back and forth, touch it maybe once. And then they're, they're learning nothing. They just realize, oh, this sport sucks because I never touched the ball. And it's, it's this huge thing. And so I think there's, again, so many issues that we have here. But like one thing is just like the improper idea of like kind of what this whole thing is about is the improper idea of how we're structuring our development. And the development should be on the players, not 
um, not necessarily the success of of the club. It's like whatever we won, like like what Tyler said, like yeah, it's sick. You guys won a bronze medal, but who's gonna remember that from in two years, right? Like it's like if you can get like good development on the kid that year, and then get them on you know maybe a TMO program where you know they can develop even more in the summer, and then they're back with you the next year with uh, your team. It's like, that's huge for your team next year. Just because you worked on that kid developing and he was able to get that a little bit better. But So I, I made uh, some I made some notes there. Sorry, Tyler, go ahead. I, I want to get jump back to the player size. I do have one more question about talent ID, but go ahead, Tyler. Well, I, uh, I know you and I both talked about the Kessel thing uh, practice. It's funny, I was, up, um, I was up in a place called Fort Albany a few weeks ago um, coaching and we had different age groups. So one group was kind of more teenagers. And then we had a younger group. Um, some of them were like 10, 12, 13. And I do my camp thing. I'm like, sweet, like same kind of thing. I'm like, hey, we're going to, we'll do two on two kind of half court stuff. Um, so they get more, get more touches. Like uh, I, I was like, I had an idea. I'm like, cool, we're going to try um, called Smash Ball. Called Smash Ball, right? Where you, you can hit the ground. Yes. You lower the oh, net yeah, a little yeah. bit, ball can bounce. Yeah. Yeah. Like these guys played six on six the day before the kids did, but it was the same thing. I'm like watching them and I'm like, this kid's just watching a ball and then rotating. And then this girl misses her serve and then it's done. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my, my skill acquisition background, my camp background, yada, yada. And the kids, hated smash ball or they find they were fine but they were like can we play real volleyball now and because the other kids were coming in after and then the adults were coming in after that and these kids impression of volleyball is is six on six so there is like a like a context a contextual factor to implementing these things and you do have to win even a 10 year old you have to win them over first because they didn't even want to play with, um, we had softballs, like soft volleyballs. They wanted to play with the Makasa that PS plays with uh, overseas. So um, it's not always that easy. Like I, I've had that before with in a camp setting, especially when there are other older kids and you try and change the constraints a little to make what looks better and would be better for their development. But they're like, I want to do what the big kids do. I don't want to play baby volleyball. So you always have to kind of take that into account, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's massive. Like that's, and that's like, that's where like, we have like the, the foresight where like, we know that like, if you do this, it's going to open things up more, but all they see is the six on six, right? So like that thing. And that's, <laughs> that's the best part of this whole thing. Like eventually so, can we play real volleyball. Oh my God. Did, <laughs> did you get them switched on at all? Like when you talk about like the number of contacts, it's more competitive. You're moving, you're having more fun. Like if you think if you did that for like a week straight or for like eight weeks, you think you would have got them switched on? Oh, I, I, even give me an extra day. Um, I, I think so. But it was the second day of a two day camp. Um, and yeah, uh, they, that's what they wanted. And that's another fun thing with coaching is collaborating, co-designing a little Okay, we'll give you this. Uh, you you tried Smash Boy and I didn't win you over. That's on me, not on them. Like, uh, we'll give you six and six, and 
I even tried to enter in free ball. I'm like, free balls? And I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> so just one one horror story for you guys. When I worked at the OVA, uh, Shane White was, uh, gosh, it wasn't the technical director, but it was a role similar to that. And they decided at, uh, it was either 13U or 14U, they were going to split up the day. And half the day was going to be like skills and drills. And it was going to be a lot of two-on-two two and three-on-three. Three, and they were going to be on like badminton-sized courts and just get the kids touching the ball a lot with like instruction from like university-level coaches. And there was a really big club in Ontario who literally emailed the OVA and said, what time is this finished? We're going to go to Tim Hortons until the tournament starts. So you, you somehow have to like manage, like it is the kids who want to play real volleyball and they want to play the adult version. But sometimes coaches and parents get in the way of like, we thought this was this great project and kids were going to get to touch the ball. And I mean, it, it's simple math. And we got six on six, that's 12 kids sharing one ball. If you get that down to four, that's that's eight kids sharing one ball. If, you, if they're competent enough to play twos and have fun, like you're touching the ball every other, every other contact. Like it's just... So much more enjoyable, but I think sometimes logistically you have to win over the coach or the club director and the parent before you can even start thinking about the kid. Sometimes the kids don't know any better. Like you said, Tyler, you give me an hour and, and uh, they'll figure it out. But sometimes the parents are the one being like, no, we want to play real volleyball. Like triple ball was not well received in this country. Yeah. If you're a basketball player, when you're, you know, 12, you're not teaching the kids to hook up Steph Curry threes. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're like, all right, we're going to learn like D3 NBA three pointers. So no, you teach them to shoot from the free throw line, if not closer, teaching them the proper technique. And then as they get stronger and they have the technique, then they can hook up those threes when they're going to university. It's like, Ben, that's proper. And like, that's what you, I like, I've watched some of the, the club teams train when I'm overseas and like the, the young teams and like, they're not doing six on six. Like, sure, they like, couple times they're doing it because they need to play six on six to get the idea of how the game's played. But they're doing they're doing skills. They're doing you know, they're going to these academies where they're doing two a day training. And it's crazy. It's it's that's why they're so much more advanced. That's like the fact that we're qualifying for Olympics in Canada is it boggles my mind, honestly, because there's so many good countries that have these amazing development systems. And it's just kind of a testament to how well we've done with what we have. But it's Truly, it, it boggles my mind. I think it was France. Matt Harris showed me a video. It might have been like U10 France boys playing four on four, and it was like a real tournament, and they were absolutely balling. And I was like, "This doesn't. This looks like what 16 year boys volleyball looks like in Ontario." And they were 10 years old, and and they probably just didn't know any better, and they were having fun with their friends. But they could all ball control. Where, uh, just to your point about the national team, there, Pierce. I had a conversation with Shannon Windsor. Excuse me, and. Sometimes as national team coaches, we have to do stuff tactically to make up for what the athlete can't do technically, where, where she admitted and I admitted on the beach side, we're not going to catch up technically to some of these other cats in the world. So as a coach, you kind of have to be like, what can we address? What do we have time to do? And can we just tactically try to erase that? Because uh, in, in her arena, she's getting an athlete back from pro and they might only with three weeks for VNL. So because if somebody's platform is a little wonky, she can't address that in that window of time. Right. So I, I think you need the athlete to develop in that window of youth training and I agree with you in Canada it's not happening as much as it is in some of these other countries yeah like for me like I'm like going to this team like the, the, I was talking to the coach he's like you're passing a lot of work I'm like I know because when I was a kid I was taught like you want to pass on the low part of your arm and like, that's where it's nice that's the sweet spot and I went to Windsor and I'm, t- I'm passing balls low on my platform and girls like what are you doing like, this is what I was taught and he's like, are you kidding me? Like, where did you come from? And I was like, oh, you know, Chatham. 
And it's the same thing. I go and coach, I go help out the club practices here. And the first thing I say to the coach is like, Hey, what, what do you teach? Cause I don't want to go against where you're going here and teach these crazy skills. And they're still teaching, you know, like midline passing, um, and all this stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, respectfully, I can't, I can't help. Cause they're like, Oh, can you help them with the passing? I'm like, I can, but it's not going to be the way you teach it. And so I don't like, I, I don't think it's good for me to, to kind of go on that. I can teach them some stuff, but like, I'm not, I'm not going to teach the midline passing because I don't believe that at all. Biggest pet peeve of it is like coaches that are like, you got to pass in your midline. It's like, well, no, you, you can pass in your midline. There's nothing against that. But I think that's one of the most vulnerable spots to pass also. So it's just all this mis, misinformation and like old school. Like volleyball's changed a lot over the last 30 years. And like that's what they, these guys learn. And that's why they teach that because that's what they're comfortable teaching. But that's also the one part is like, I think there should be better resources for these coaches where, you know, the OVA is like, all right, we're going to do new school coaching where we bring in, um, I think it'd be impossible to bring him in, but, um, uh, national team coach Timo. Uh, I say the, Thomas, but I think there is a Finnish way to say Thomas. it properly, but he lets you call yeah. him Thomas. <laughs> yeah. And so bring like bringing him in or like having some kind of video session where you're learning from him or like learning from some, some kind of high level coach where it's like, all right, this is how you should be teaching. This is why, you know, this is kind of how you teach it. And like they're learning so that they can teach it. It's just, again, I'm, I'm going on a tangent. I could talk about this stuff for hours, but it's, uh, I think we, we have the opportunity to make volleyball better in Canada. It's just everyone's so focused on, you know, winning club championships and doing all the stuff where it's like, all right, well, I just want to win this year. I'm just going to focus on winning, not on, okay, this kid's a project, but he could be something good in two years when he's not going to be on my team anymore. But so why do I, why do I care about that? Right. So Pierce, with you coming from Windsor, I think that's fascinating because again, when I was reading about, I'm fascinated by professional sports draft and the teams who have the most drafted athletes are the Green Bay Packers and the Winnipeg Jets. And I would say that's comparable to Windsor because Winnipeg and Green Bay are getting top free agents. And I don't think Windsor University until recently was getting top recruits. I mean, Darian Kosky is an absolute dog and he's awesome. But when you came into Windsor, you were kind of expected to play as a first year, which is pretty rare in the OUA. And I think you and Nolan played Adam Child, like they weren't getting the top dogs. And with Gravel being as competitive as he is and as smart as he is, do you think that created the need for him to know how to develop players and say, I'm going to get this guy for four or five years and he's got to turn into a player because we're, we're not getting the same guys as Alberta, Trinity, Queens, those types of schools, right? So do, do you think that's what turned Gravel on to being a long-term development guy? Because you're an example, but you came in really good. I think his best example would be Moat or some of these other guys who came in as like good high school players and then turned out to be awesome OUA players. Well, that, yeah, that's the big thing. I think mean, Gravel would actually take a guy that was maybe even below another guy, but he's like, this guy's got a ceiling that that guy doesn't have. So I'm willing to like, you know, put two, three years of like having there's like headaches every night and going home and being like, why am I doing this? So that and when it's, and he's in his third year, like most a great example, like played high school volleyball, never played club, was six seven. No emailed Gravel was like, hey, I'm six seven. Can I come try over the team? And was like, yeah, of course. Um, comes out, Carell is like, all right, he was a baseball pitcher. He's got a decent arm. Like, he's six seven, weighs 185 pounds. You got no nothing on him. So he's like, all right, you're gonna redshirt. We're gonna work you out your first year, get your proper uh, mechanics, which is also a nice thing. Is he had no bad habits, so he, he was able to kind of fluctuate him pretty quickly. And he 
And then Mo picked up middle really well. Like he was able to move laterally awesome. Ended up playing in the Bundesliga in his first year and like played really well and probably would have had a longer career if it wasn't for COVID. He had to, you know, his first season he got cut short. And then for, for Mo, it was just kind of like, ah, I kind of want to get my life started. Like volleyball was never like a passion of his. He just did it. It was cool. He got the experience. Um, I honestly believe he'd be on the next Olympic roster, if not the last one, if he had stuck with it. Um, because he was just such a freak. And but that's what Gravel does really well. And now he can get guys like Koski. Like that was that also happened to be because his brother was at Windsor. His um, Noah was at Windsor and you know, Darren, the whole issue with the Manitoba coach was a whole nother story. <laughs> but uh yeah, so Darren came in, he's been playing amazing. That's that's been huge for Windsor, having a like a dominant middle where like like they used to have with Moat and it's it's really helped them. They split with Queens and Mac, which is huge for them, and now they're in a position to, you know, be a top three seed, maybe be top seed in post OUA. Like it's it's gonna be a really interesting second half of the season for them. Now, Tyler, as a club coach, why do you think it's so hard for us to project where I think university coaches can own it because they know they're going to have the athlete for four years. If their academics they put in, their interests don't change. But obviously, they can really invest in an athlete that they're not going to transfer out where uh, in the Volleyball Canada literature, it says between eight to 10 to 12 weeks to develop and really like perform a skill under pressure. And I remember asking Leonard Crapp, our, our former Beach National Team coach, uh, who's got a master's in coaching, very good mind for the sport. And, and I asked him, I was like, do you think it takes eight weeks to develop a skill? And he kind of scoffed at me. He goes, oh, at least. And I think club coaches don't give that credit where they're not willing to invest eight weeks, maybe half a season, maybe a full season into a kid developing where sometimes I hear coaches bend and be like, oh, we've worked on this the last two practices and they still can't do it. And it's like, how much time are club coaches supposed to invest? And why is it so hard for us to like project or be patient that somebody's going to have to be bad before they're going to be good? Yeah, I, I remember saying you early in the season, like, Coaching club is so much harder than coaching youth sport, I think, because I'm just so far removed from that age. These guys are half my age. Whereas um, I played college uh, four years ago. So I can see the game closer to what our York guys see. But in terms of club, there's that, there's a skill part of not being able to kind of be in that beginner's mind. But I think, in, like we talked about before, there's so many moving parts in club. Um, so there's so much on a club coach to consider. I mean, there's the skill side, there's the knowledge of the game, but then you have parents, um, you have your club admin or, uh, and by the way, I've been super lucky this year to have awesome parents. I remember coming in as well with Jordan, um, our head coach at York was like parents make or break your season. Um, so Kind of what um, Kiss was saying at the start of the season, I, I did have a big meeting and was like, hey, this is the way I coach. Um, kind of more on the development side, this is how things are going to look. And just so they were prepared, what they, um, just, yeah, just my philosophy on things and on the, on the development side. But in terms of skill, like I, I'm, I very much view things through the lens of like motor learning, skill acquisition. And so maybe that's, um, what I'm really biased towards. So I look at periodizing things like uh, on the macro and micro um, scale. Like I'll, I'll tell the guys, Hey, this is over the next four weeks. And I'll draw a little graph. We're really focused on learning um, because we have just such a big break between this last tournament and the next one. 
And so what that means is performance is it's going to go down. They're kind of in almost inverse. And I'll, I'll just put that up on the whiteboard. And so when we're trying to focus more on learning, there's going to be a ton of errors and it's going to be very frustrating and we're going to be doing new things. Uh, and then as we get closer to the tournament, our next tournament, then we'll, we'll kind of just clean things up and be a little more focused on maintenance. And so that's a conversation I have with guys. I, from a, like a, a load perspective, I, that's what I look at. I look at learning. Um, and so I don't really look at jumps or like, why would you at club level? But I don't really care. I will, I don't really focus too much on the intensity from like a physical perspective because I only have them twice a week. Um, and it's four hours and they're 15 or they're like 14, 13. I think they could jump till they, their legs fall off. Maybe that's a bad way to look at it, but I, I focus more on like, Okay, how messy is practice? So more more on a quality, the quality of practice rather than the number of reps. Um, and so, like, they won't run a pipe in a, in a tournament um, unless they have to. But I still practice some high level stuff just to see what happens. Like, I kind of just throw high level things and see how they figure things out. That's been fun, like seeing. How these young guys, like I remember I was coaching a kid and I'm like, kind of, it's good to approach towards um, the back corner, that'd be five. So you have all your angles from the left side. I go, what would happen if you approach line? Like, how would you hit cross? Trying to elicit from him that like, oh, you'd really have to externally rotate. He goes, oh, just use my left hand. And I'm like, (laughs) I wouldn't think that because I'm kind of like, maybe more narrow-minded these kids that um minds are so open but we had guys spin serving like not a lot of guys spin serve at the level but i i got all of them to learn it and do it in practice uh and my kind of rule was like don't ask for permission ask for forgiveness because when the first tournaments guys would ask me to spin serve like ask for permission in the game i'm like yes and then they would miss because they kind of put so much like glamour or like I don't know they build up a spin serve like it's this huge thing to me it's just another serve and so that's kind of the mindset I built or we built together as a team and then in the club when it came to the OVA there were two guys who started spin serving that like one kid he's one of our shortest guys just started going back and ripping spin serves of all the guys that I thought was going to who were going to try it out on the day of, you know, competition. It wasn't him and he was getting aces. He was accidentally hitting hybrids, but we'll pretend that they were on purpose. It was really cool. Like I, I really liked just the kind of randomness of practice. And then your OVA tournaments are like where you see what is actually transferring because that's the real test of practice from my point of view. Oh, you guys think of that? Think of that. I think the coach matters in that example a lot because I know coaches who won't let their athletes spin serve or experiment or, or do these things, right? Like I, I always joke that like Agapeth is a one of one, but I think because you can go and watch clips or you can see stuff that Eric Lepke does, I think kids should be feel freedom to go in the gym and try that stuff where uh, I don't think a lot of coaches do that. And I think 
uh, I don't know. Does it come down to the environment? Does the kid have to lead it? Should the coach be leading it? Like, it's very interesting. Like, Pierce, when did you start spin serving? Were you spin serving in school ball and club, or did you wait till university? Well, I, was, like, I agree with us fully because I had to, like, fight to try to spin serve. I remember I spun serve in high school, like, during the high school season, and then that club season started, and I started spin serving at practice. My club coach was like, you know, I spin serve. I'm like, I want to be. He's like, well, you got to make nine out of ten. I'm like, what? And so I, I, I put like nine roll shots in and I made nine out of 10, but they weren't good serves. And I was like, looking back at that, that was like the dumbest thing. Like if you're making nine out of 10 of your spin serves, you're not spinning hard enough. Like realistically, unless you're having a really good serve, it happens. But it's like a 70, 70% thing where you're putting like seven out of 10 really good ones, even six out of 10, if they're always at a system, you get a couple misses, like mix some aces in there. Like there's, that's the thing. It's like John Spross said, like if you're missing only, if we're only missing five serves a game, Probably not serving hard enough. It's 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 true, and like it's it's different for women to men. But like if if my team would have like fifteen misses in a four setter, but had eight to nine, maybe ten aces, that's a really good serve because that means every other serve going in, they're out of system. And like I like the point of like like same thing when I come back and I coach kids, I'm like, listen, like this is just I'm teaching you these new skills. Not like I don't care. I don't care if you hit a ball off the back wall. Like if you're trying to do the skill, that's what matters. Like if, yeah, we'll 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 start the practice off like this. The whole practice might be development. Maybe the last ten minutes, fifteen minutes. I'm like, all right, I want I want execution here. I want you to try to, you know, get results and try to hit hit those angles I, w- I was trying to get you to do. But I still want you to try to do the technique. Like even with that, if you're doing the technique, that's what that's what matters. Like because like once you get the technique down and it's natural to you, it's it's going to it's just, that shot's just gonna happen. That's just it's, it's going to, and like, it's so, I think it's also really important to kind of like teach, like, yeah, it's important to teach the kids like higher level too. Like, even if they're not going to play it, like it's like, I had a girl yesterday, I was coaching, she's a middle blocker. And she's like, I feel like all the time, like when I'm going to the pin to close a block, I'm like running into the pin blocker. And I was like, That's a, that happens all the time in pro. I'm like, I'm going to teach you how to roll out of a block and be able to escape and then run a 30. Now I'm like, all your coaches tell you to jump straight up and down and they'd rather you be like, not even jump. And I'm like, that's fine. You don't like, you're probably not going to do this in your club season. But I'm like, now she knows, like she knows that, Oh, this is like, I can do this if, if it happens. And now I'm not going to turn an ankle. I'm in a better position to hit now. And it's just like, I think it's important to kind of, even if they're not going to do it, like teach the kids all the parts of the game, like show them in your pet clubs. Like there was a time where I was, when I was in Baku, I overran a pipe and did like the windmill and like hit it out of bounds. And my coach was like screaming at me and Aziri. I'm just like, I'm like, all right, whatever. And then so he's like, he's like cussing me out. I have no idea what he's saying, but I know he's cussing me out. And then next practice, I do the same thing. I score. He's like, oh, great shot. <laughs> I was like, it was the exact same shot. I, 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 you bring up a yeah. good pass. You bring out. Um, I think we're all probably biased towards the men's game and coach more men and boys. So, um, I coach at York right now and then coaching boys club. Um, I think the girl in the world of girls club is just a complete different universe where you see there's just way more athletes and girls moving around a lot. That's probably a whole other can of worms. But when we talk talent idea and, and development and stuff, that's probably like, that's probably where it's all kind of the issue is the biggest. 
But I, I, I'm writing my um, thesis right now on serving. So I've been interviewing um, national team players. And on the women's side, that's come up a few times. Um, I, I won't say who the participants were, but a couple of times they've, they've talked about kind of how in Canada we cookie-cut girls into, like, we all float serve and we all do it this way. Um, and girls are not allowed to make errors and practice at a young age. Um, the club system or the culture and club probably plays a huge part in that um, because it's so competitive. There's so many athletes, but the point was brought up. The participants said, you know, you don't see any girls spin serving in the club level, but yet you walk into a U13 boys gym and boys are serving it under the net and it's kind of fun. like they're allowed to do that. And maybe boys um, kind of do that stuff without being asked to, but we get, like Pierce here in Europe and the women's game over there, they're developing spin servers. And I think it, the idea that it's not effective because of the net or the velocity, I think has probably become way too prominent in North America. Um, and I, I was talking to Jen about it at York and I was like, what do you think about this idea? And she, she kind of said, yeah, it needs to develop earlier. The culture plays a part too, but, um, the, the strength window or the speed window, or that, that, that window that teenagers have while they're developing the, the women that come through don't have the arm to, to rip a spin serve and it's not as effective. So that's just something that came to mind. Yeah, I think the big first question for me is, is, do they? Like, do we know that they don't have the arm? Or are we just like coaches saying, like, I don't yeah, want to invest right? in it? But but the second point I would bring in is is the, the culture point to me starts with the parents. And we've had some amazing coaches on this podcast. I, that's why I run it, just to talk to cool people like you guys. But uh, Craig Moore, Seymour from out west, he made a rule with his parents that you're not allowed to talk about misserves Because he had like Sidney Gills and some other uh, Pantovic, some other like top tier athletes. And like, we're going to rip it from the end line and we're going to make errors. But to, to Pierce's point, I think it takes a coach knowing that like, if we miss five serves, we're okay like because we're going to get them out of system we're going to be aggressive where to me that's probably the number one flaw in our development system is parents don't understand technically tactically what's going on and they think the team who makes the least amount of errors wins and i think maybe at the lower level that's true the difference between winning and developing the team who just keeps the ball in bounds probably wears the other team down and they win a lot of 14u 15u and 16u medals but when you get to 17u 18u university international we need points like we need to score so if they never had that window where they can take risk or lean on balls or crack on balls it's just not going to happen right so i think i know we've complained or maybe pointed out a lot of flaws today but if there was one wish for me uh for coaches developing is like errors are okay not only are they okay they are necessary for learning and i think you should be encouraging an aggressive style of play because if you're just the team bopping the ball in you might win a lot of 16 new games but your players aren't going to develop to their full potential yeah, we got to solve that all the problems. We've, we've been <laughs> telling all the problems. We need solutions. <laughs> I think volleyball is a, a fun and athletic sport, and I think it should be encouraged to play that style. And if you blast a ball out 18 bricks up, I think that should be okay sometimes. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I know um, I brought this to you, Josh, when we were coaching the national team, but I admit... Um, Hajiv Singh at a conference who's a huge guy in skill acquisition but has a background in volleyball and 
he works with the Orlando Magic now and, and what he implemented in his second year. He's a skill acquisition specialist or for, uh, maybe that's not his title, um, but he implemented error days. And so it'd be at a ideal time of the week where it's not too close to competition, but it would be called an error day and the focus would be on making errors and kind of switching the the view on it as, as being a positive thing because it is kind of a requirement for learning to happen. If you're not making errors, you're just doing stuff you already know. I think we, we all probably know that, but um, giving the athletes the freedom, and these are like NBA players, um, but even just giving them the freedom to explore and to to make mistakes and not only is there no consequences, like you're kind of encouraged to do that. And, and um, coaches have to live that. And sorry to cut you off, Tyler, but as you're explaining yeah. this, I remember playing box lacrosse and the coach said, I want you to shoot the ball as hard as you can. And I missed the net by like three panes of glass. And I got yelled at to be like, Josh, you got to hit the net. And I was like, did you just tell me to shoot it as hard as I can? Or did you tell me to hit the net where uh, coaches, if you're going to do it, I, I think that comes back to your seasonal plan or your patience. If you're going to have air days, you got to kind of grin and bear it a little bit when uh, what's a good volleyball example when Josh serves the ball underneath the net. I can't get yelled at for that error because you told me to go for it, right? I think that's a principle that I think coaches, sometimes we read the theory and go, okay, that's cool. But then we yell and say, oh, we're missing too many serves, guys. But kind of like Tyler was talking about this a second ago, but like the issue with like a lot of the errors though too is um, these kids go from like club season to Timo in the center to high school season to clubs. So there's no time to make these errors, right? Because they're going to three down, which yeah, and then they're like, "Okay, well, now we're in performance. Now we're in performance. Now we're in performance." Or right, well, what are you going to try to learn? And that's the other th- reason. Like, I don't think kids get better is because, like, in Europe, they just stay in the same club and they don't have like sure they have national team stuff for a couple weeks um, from like you know four, sixteen U up, but like that's just a couple weeks. And like then sure you're in a performance state, but like throughout the rest of the months, you're in uh, the rest of the year, you're in like a uh, development phase and so that's like a big I think a huge issue actually I just thought of that we have here is that we're just always in a performance stage here we're always no matter where we go because we're always just switching teams and switching coaches that's such a good point and I knew this would happen we would just talk for an hour straight and we would run out of time so sorry guys I know you're busy and you got a ton of stuff going on we'll, we'll call it there but we'll have to organize another one of these even if Garrett's not available I think some more roundtable discussions uh, I don't think we solved anything hopefully we sparked some ideas and some coaches heads about <laughs> yeah. uh you know, maybe you do want to run a six three, or maybe you do want to have air days, or maybe if you're a kid listening to this, you should spin serve because Pierce Johnson told you you're allowed to spin serve no matter what your coach said. Like, just let's let's make volleyball fun. Let's think about development and winning because I, I think winning's important. But I think let, let's develop and let's have fun and, and let's keep getting better. And, and if you're coaching club, this wasn't to rag on you. I encourage you to coach club. Thank you for coaching club so our kids can play. But yeah, I think there's a few things that if we solve, we're going to be in a better place as Canadian volleyball. So, fellas, any any last words before we call it here yeah i stand by that any club kid listening say, <laughs> say i told you to do that and tell your coach to message me i'll i'll talk that's i stand by that respectfully to the coaches but i want to see kids doing the ingapith roundhouse because pierce said it was sick <laughs> <laughs> i would love i would love to see a kid post that on instagram and tag passing dives <laughs> oh like doing the ingapith nothing would make me happier that we got to make that a challenge now yeah, it has to be. All right, sweet guys. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, like I said, good discussion. We didn't solve much, but hopefully we sparked some ideas or some conversations within your own uh, group of coaches and friends.